0: The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. Right, good morning. We'll be back in the book of Romans, chapter 5. and We're going to recap in just a minute what we talked about last week. Uh, it's such a deep topic, subject, that it takes a little uh, thinking, a little time to... Uh, to process what God is trying to speak to us about in that book, in that chapter, about his righteousness and what he has done for us through the life and, and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, we are recipients of that blessing. That's what happens and what we see clearly laid out in the book of Romans. I don't know if you've ever had... Uh, problems with or worried about i think the older you get the less you worry about these things maybe the younger you are you might be more prone to that but worrying about what people think about you what they say about you what they might how they might judge you i don't know that i could stand the scrutiny of being a morning news television host i don't you might be able to handle that i'm not sure i can but almost every day, millions of people will click on some station, some, uh, maybe it's a local news, and maybe it's thousands of people may uh, click on the station and look at it, and they're talking about, if not talking about, thinking about what clothes they chose to do the news in that morning and how they fit, and if they fit right, or whether they're appropriate or not, or whether their hair is like right, or they like the hair that way. Uh, we had one particular news guy at uh, in Alexandria that um, he dressed nice every time, but he liked to make corny jokes and do a weird dance after he said something funny. He was hard to watch. Uh, it didn't last long. He got promoted. Moved on to a better place somewhere else. But, that, uh, but every morning I'd find myself in the position of thinking, okay, what's this guy going to do next that's going to make me feel awkward? And it was something every day. So I feel that way sometimes as a preacher. You come up, you, see, you, you get up before a, a, a group of folks, and you wonder if you've got people in the crowd that are very, very picky about what you say and how you speak. I know there's some of the churches I've preached in that will be full of former preachers. And you get a church full of former preachers, some of them are really compassionate because they know. They know some of them are very picky about how you say things and what you say, even what version of the Bible you use. I've been chastised several times for not using the King James version of the Bible. I've been chastised for uh, telling too many stories. Been uh, chastised for not telling any stories. Not not enough illustrations. I've been uh, told my hair is uh, is too short. Been told it's a little shaggy all those kind of things have been said uh even one time uh, a friend of mine was about to preach um well this this particular church did this twice this one person did it twice i walked in the door probably about six months before he walked in the door i sat at the back of the room and uh she walked over and looked at me and said you're looking kind of fat today now at first uh i thought oh, that hurts my feelings And then I thought, you outweighed me 40 pounds. What are you talking about? Then the next guy came in, and he was about to get in to preach, and he was a a little bit bigger guy. And uh, She looked at him as he was walking down the aisle to go up on the stage and said, I just think you're too fat to preach here. Can you believe that? We're talking about a normal guy. He was just normal. Critical spirit. Kind of mean. Kind of mean-spirited. It's hard to measure up. And, uh, to someone that's like that. So it's people in this world are judgmental. They are harsh, and they say things. And you yourself may catch yourself getting into that mode occasionally and doing that with other people as well. But we, none of us, deserve the kind of punishment, or none of us receive the kind of punishment we deserve for the sinful behavior that we have in our private life. Now we're going to look at that and how, how the scripture deals with that today. Uh, first, I want to tell you about this uh, young boy that, that got his driver's license. And I want to say it's not me. This young boy got his driver's license. and He went home and talked to his dad and said, Dad, I've, I've got my license and I really think it's time that I get a car and start driving more often. And the dad looked at him and said, listen, you can get a car if you'll do three things. The first thing I want you to do is get your grade average up from a C average to a b average well that's not too bad he thought he could do that so he started working on that he said the next thing i want you to do is start reading your bible more particularly every day If you can read your bible every day i'll think about that and then he uh he talked to him about his hair he had long hair he said if you will cut your hair then we'll start talking about getting you a car so a few months went by and the son went to talk talked to the father. He said, listen, I've got my grades up. I've been working hard. You see that? And the, son, the father said, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you've done. You've done good. He said, well, not only that, I've been reading the Bible a lot. And this is what I've learned. I learned that people all through the Bible had long hair. He had Samson had long hair. You possibly had Jesus with long hair. You had John the Baptist with long hair. He says, they had long hair. I think I need long hair too. And the dad said, you're so good that you have studied that much that you know that. But I want you to look closer at the scripture and see that all of those guys walked everywhere they went. (laughs) Probably wasn't a more nerve-wracking time than those... that. 15-year-old to 16, 17-year-old uh, time of, of learning to drive. Because the book they give you is full of rules. And not only is it full of rules, it's full of math. Like how far will it take you to stop if so-and-so happens? How many feet will that be before you get to there? How many feet should you be behind the car that's in front of you when you're trailing a car uh, according to the, the speed that you're going? All these complicated things are being given to these drivers for the first time, and then there's rules about when to pass, not pass, when to uh, where you can park, how to just everything you can imagine. So going to take that test is a precarious, treacherous day for a lot of people. Uh, I, I went through school; all, I, I can't remember making many C's. Uh, almost all A's all through through school. But I was scared to death the day I took that test. I was going to fail that driving test. The written part, not the driving part. The driving part wasn't so bad because I've been driving long before it was legal. All over the farm. I knew what to do in a car. So I went and took the test. It was nerve wracking. Broke out in hives a little bit and um, got the, the results back and I passed with a hundred. So I made a hundred on that test. I was really proud of it. But when I took the driving test, I didn't pass with a 100. Uh, I turned, took one corner too short, across, took a little bit, too, too much of a cut across an intersection, and they marked me off for that. Had a difficult time parallel parking, but finally got it in there okay. Uh, didn't pass that. That's, that's the kind of uh, feeling that a lot of us have toward the Word, toward Scripture. Is that we know a lot of things, we can do a lot of things, but every now and then something will pop up and come out or someone will say something to you and you realize that you do not quite measure up to the word, to the law. Have you felt that way before? just can't get it all right. We find out in Romans 5, 8 that we don't have to get it all right, do we? Someone took the test for us. Let's look at uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since you have been justified, we preached through this last week and read through this. Justified means that you have been measured straight with God. You have got things right with God. Matter of fact, I got to have a little Bible study yesterday with Caitlin. While she was setting up her tent, she bought a yurt. Now, a yurt is a, kind of a fancier name for a canvas tent. So you got this canvas tent. She wants to take her kid, her, her little girl camping. So uh, she's setting it up in the backyard. She's doing it all herself. And then when you guide that that uh, tent out with wires to make sure it's all straight, I said, let me tell you what the Old Testament says about a, a straight door because that's what the word righteousness is in the Old Testament. It's held up to a measure that it is straight and correct. So you got to set this door in a righteous way and tighten it up so the whole tent follows in that. So we've we'll got to have a little five-minute Bible study out in the yard about the, about that. A teenager received, well, I'm sorry, that's what am I doing? I'm do. I'm thinking about Caitlin again, driving. Uh, verse 5, uh, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we get that justification through Jesus, through whom we have gained access by faith into to his grace in which we now stand. So we're talking about people today that are born again, that have given their life to Christ, that have said, "I believe Jesus is real. I commit my life to Him." You stand right in the eyes of God. If you have done that, you are right in the eyes of God. That's going to be most everyone that is here today. Some of the folks that will be watching on Facebook, some of the folks that are listening on radio as they drive through the area. Those will be there's Some of those folks that have given their life to Jesus and they have been made right. The initial standing, that standing in in their eternity is right through Jesus. And they can boast the hope of the glory of God, verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. That's that life we're living right now. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the condition of being saved. While you were sinners, Christ died for you. So we're not worthy. We could take every test and still fail it. And we would get stamped by the Father saying, 100, you passed because of Jesus. And then we get to verse 9. And verse 9 takes this into a deeper, more layered view of what it means to be saved, what it means to be justified, what it means to be right with, with God. He says that since we have been Justified by his blood. So we were made right by the blood of Jesus. The death of Jesus on the cross. The crucifixion. That wrath of God being poured out on Jesus was for our sake. And we have been made right because of that. Since we have been justified. We have been made right by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Paul's using a, a, a teaching methodology here. It's an if-then type phrase. If we are saved and we're justified, all things are right. We are now spared from what we deserve. We're spared from the punishment. We're spared from the pain. We're spared from all the things that come, could come on us that, that he has taken away from us. Let's look at back in Romans chapter 1. We talked about this about... Well, a while back, back in October. first 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's wrath is going to be released on everyone that is unrighteous. I spent about three days again in New Orleans this week, so it, while I'm there, uh, it's always an interesting time to be around that many people and that kind of culture, and uh, I'm driving really close to what's now a place where you, it's, it's like Sam's for king cakes. It's called The Hub. You go to The Hub, and all the famous king cakes from all the bakeries all over the area are being delivered in there daily, every day, and you can go in there and pick out which particular brand you want, and while you're picking out somebody's wants to tell you just a customer usually the history of that particular cake they want to tell you all about it so you get in there and get your cake so I went in and bought cakes for other people but I'm not supposed to be eating cake and um I got these cakes for other people got them in the car and I'm driving off kind of a happy experience I'm good to give gifts to people and um all of them sick by the way which made me feel really good about myself I'm delivering cakes to sick people so uh I'm uh, driving down there, thinking about having good thoughts and good feelings. I look over to my left, and there's about a, a 65-year-old lady in a Subaru, a new one, and she's uh, driving next to me. And I kind of look first. I like su- I like the way those cars look. I'm looking at that car, thinking, yeah, it looks good. And then I looked up at her window, and there's a little a little homemade sign on orange paper taped to her window, and it says this: "No guns, no money." No valuables, not necessary. You know what she's trying to say to somebody driving up next to her? You can carjack me if you want to, but I don't have any of these things. I don't have these things in this car. There's no cash in here. There's no gun in here. There's no valuables in here. Don't have a watch on that you could take and, and make something out of it. Uh, what she forgot to say, say is, uh, this car's not worth anything either. Just to try to, try to add to it. I told my dad about that. He says, "How terrible of a world is that we live in? That a retired lady is having to post in her window what her state is, so she will not have to be robbed by someone." There's methodology that they go through to carjack you in cities. It's not just that city; it's all over the country where they'll catch you on a low on a ramp an on ramp where it's there's. The traffic stopped in front of you and traffic behind you stopped. You can't get out. There's no space on the side. They'll come up beside you, um, take basically force you out of your car, take your stuff, take your car. That's a bad world, isn't it? It's easy for us to think those people deserve wrath from God because of that violence, because of that action of anger, that, that selfishness that we think. I can understand the wrath of God and I can get behind it when it's for things like that. But can you get behind the fact that when you know and I know the word of God and you know what is right and wrong? let's say just the Ten Commandments. You know the Ten Commandments, but yet you still covet someone else's things. We know that. That is equally, in the eyes of God, Deserving of wrath. And that wrath is not just God punishing you, it is God's righteousness juxtaposed against our sinfulness and His righteousness acting out in punishment of, in anger, of our direct rebellion against His law. It's not popular in church, by the way, to preach about wrath. Preach about wrath and people start saying that made me a little uncomfortable. I probably won't go back. Don't want to hear about that. If you want to know who God is, you have to understand His wrath. If you want to know what, how great the salvation you receive is, you must understand His wrath. That we are deserving of wrath because of sin. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. We're not going to just slip in to heaven. You're not going to make a 90 on the test on your own. You're not going to make a 72 and slip into heaven and, Because you thought you did just good enough to get past. Because there's really only one way in. And it's a pass-fail test. And to pass the test, you must have Jesus in your life. You must give your life to Christ. He must be the offering, the sacrifice for your sin that deserves wrath. We hear about wrath on how we behave. And by the way, uh, for us to act in wrath, not godly. We have the ability to, to be righteous in anger, to be angry about sinful states or maybe about the way that, that that condition that put that lady in the situation where she needed a sign in her car. We might want to be we might could be angry about something like that. But we do not have the the ability as people of God to exact punishment wrath on others. Romans twelve seventeen through 21, Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. And beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. That's a word you can stand on. You can trust. Now, as an old South father... When somebody messes with my kids, what's the feeling you get? You want to punish them. You want to punish them. Mess with my kids, that's too far. There'll be some wrath. It's not what Scripture teaches, is it? I've been reminded of this passage many times. Let me take care of the wrath, God says. Let me take care of the wrath. You take care of the forgiving. You take care of your heart. Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. They, then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. That anger-filled response to rebellion belongs to God. Now here's what we get in Romans 5, 9. Not only do we get justified, you can layer right on top of that rightness you have of God, complete protection from the wrath of God. Might be deserving, but we get protection. We don't have to suffer the wrath of God. Let's look at some examples throughout Scripture of, uh, of God's wrath being exacted on mankind. You had the worldwide flood in Genesis 6 through 9. You have the destruction of Sodom in Genesis nineteen, the defeat of the Egyptians in Exodus fifteen seven, you can probably see those pictures of what's happening that you've read in Scripture over time. All these these events, the, the suppression of the rebellion of Korah in number sixteen, the Assyrian destruction of the ten tribes of Israel, that Babylonian destruction that happened to the two tribes of Judah. In the New Testament, you got the examples of Jesus. His anger at the money changers in the temple. And God's anger that we see all through the book of Revelation. If you want to look at the wrath of God, read the book of Revelation. Revelation 6, 16 and 17, 14, 9 and 10, 15, 7, 16, 1, all talk about that wrath being poured out in tribulations. Then you have the second coming of Jesus, Revelation 19. Then you have it in the very last the great white throne of judgment. The folks the unbelievers cast into the lake of fire. We're spared that. We're spared that. Verse 10 of, of act of Romans five. Romans five ten. For if while we were God's enemies, so we weren't just floating along through life, we were God's enemies without Him. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So we have justification made right with God. We have the covering for wrath where we know we won't suffer the wrath of God. And now along comes this reconciliation was more than just functionally taking care of our status, but we have a relationship where we can speak to the Father. I can talk to Him. He speaks to me. I can learn from Him. I worship. I'm filled with the Spirit. I walk out these doors with peace. I have a life that I know is headed in the right direction. I have the uh, have the uh, sense of rightness with Him. and Our relationship is, is not broken. It is reconciled because of Jesus and the death of His Son. Then ultimately, on top of all that, you layer, layer first the justification, then the, the protection from wrath, layer on top of that rightness in the relationship with God, bundle all that together, and you got saved. So when someone speaks of being saved, it's all those things combined. It's more than just being saved Uh, For the moment, it's more than being just protected. It's everything. It is a hope for the future. So I am being saved right now. I was saved in November of 1983. I will be ultimately saved when eternity in heaven begins. Saved. Covered. Verse 11. Not only is this so, but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we can tell others about this salvation we've experienced. You know, uh, all the denominations—they they seem to get these distinctives that marks who they are. And I, you could throw out a domination to me, yell it to me right now. I could probably tell you what they're. Their distinctive is that people see them as publicly and they portray themselves as. And um, and you could probably do the same thing for me. I could say to you, what about fill in the blank denomination? They focus on this. Baptists have found this. We are overwhelmingly excited about being saved. We talk about it all the time. Not only do we talk about it, we plan and organize and train to teach others how to be saved. Now, my um, lack of forethought and planning allowed me not didn't allow me to do what I wanted to do today. This is what I would have liked to have done for this verse. I would like to have given everybody in this room a New Testament. Now, I know everybody has one, but I wanted to give you one that you can write in and not feel bad about. I'll give you a New Testament and a and a uh, black pen, and have you open up to passages of Scripture, and I've done this just about every church I've ever been in. But uh, we'll open up this this Bible, and we'll walk through the Roman Road, and underline it, and underline. Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, and Romans 5, 8, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and on and on and on. All these verses that talk to us about what it means to be saved. And the reason I do that is because I want you to know that in your head. Then I want you to take that Bible and I want you to put it into the hands of someone else and tell them how they can be saved. That's what we care about. We care about that. We have YEC, youth evangelism conference celebration, uh, every year in November, right before Thanksgiving. And, um, it happens at the Coliseum in Alexandria most of the time, about five to 7,500 students, depending on the year, uh, show up, big old packed out house. And we, the, come to those events. Let me stand back. A little too worked up, didn't I? <laughs> we want those kids that come to those events to get saved. And hundreds do every year. And they'll give an invitation. They'll preach a message. It'll be much better than this one. They'll be more compelling and better looking guys and they're all those kind of things. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll do great. They'll have a motorcycle spinning in circles in the corner. that's going on entertaining all the time there and they'll preach the gospel and they'll stand up and give the invitation and just droves of people will come out of the stands. Come down to the aisles, they'll walk down an aisle, they'll meet adults at the back door, they'll walk out to a little tent on the side and in that tent they explain the gospel to them and they tell the gospel to them, they ask them if they understand that, do you understand what it means to give your life to Jesus and we'll ask them over and over, we'll make sure it's not some emotional decision that they don't fully understand which happens all the time. By the way, You know, I, I interview summer missionaries every year, and every year I get a summer missionary that we talk to that uh, talks about the relationship with God, and they do not know a thing about what it means to be saved. haven't been saved. They're just religious. They're, they're nice people. In that interview, we tell, we tell them, well, let me tell you what the Bible says about the wrath of God and knowing God and having reconciliation with God and telling others about him. I don't think you're quite ready right yet to be a missionary, but let's talk about this. So all that happens, we do all these things, because we want people to know Jesus. I have a weekly report that I have my ministers fill out and send to me on Monday mornings and it says how many gospel conversations did you have this week and with who because I don't want them to tell me 12 and not know 12 names who because people need to be saved do y'all believe that's true do you know why we have vacation bible school to tell people about Jesus so they can be saved that's why we have revivals that's why we have all kinds of things that we do because we believe that people need Jesus and they need to be protected from they need to be made right with with him two favorite books to preach through in the Bible are Hebrews and Romans it lasts forever first of all I didn't think I could accomplish going through Hebrews in a short interim. So we went to Romans instead. So long and so intense and so good. Some hard things to understand that are very uh, deep and rich. It's also very simple. Hebrews 9.22 says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It comes from the teaching in Exodus 12. When God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. That's hard stuff to talk about. To talk about publicly, unashamedly, that someone had to bleed, be punished, be scourged, had to suffocate, had to be mocked. Be yelled at, spat on because of what I do. It's hard to talk about. Because of what you do. In Romans five we say we find out that we have got forgiveness and have been covered for all those sins. So where do you stand today? Have you got this fixed and this fixed and this fixed in your life, but still have this glaring sin that you will not let go of and you need the Lord to to take control of your life and forgive you for all of that? Are you standing on the outside with a broken relationship with God that needs reconciliation? Are you there? Are you due to suffer the wrath of God? Or have you been forgiven completely? And you will not suffer the wrath of God, but you are complacent about telling others about this relationship you can have with Jesus. Are you in standing that you feel all the joy of being saved and covered and and forgiven, and you tell others about him, and you've seen God work in others' life? Are you standing in that kind of joy? those are the three conditions that you are in. One of those three. Lost, found, or found in telling others. It's okay that you're not complete. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, if he has given up his son for you, He's not going to leave you laying and not fixed. He's going to fix you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this hard, clear, sober word of what it means to have escaped the wrath of your righteousness. To have been forgiven. There's some that need that right now, that need that forgiveness and need to be right with you. And Father, I pray that at this moment they would pray to you and say, Lord Jesus, I give it all to you. I trust you with everything. Please forgive me of my sins. I accept Jesus as my Savior. Father, I encourage them to do that. You encourage them to do that. The Holy Spirit is leading them to do that. And there's others that need to tell others. I pray that you'd give them courage and strength and you would complete that part of their faith in them. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. If the Holy spirit's been moving on you and you might want to be one of those folks that give your life to Jesus today for the first time, or you may want to pray for others that need to know him. You might want to come and join the church. I promise you, if you are a believer walking with the Lord and And doing right in your life and we're standing up singing. If you come forward, the rest of us aren't going to judge you and say that you weren't saved and got saved. Okay. We know you're just, you're just dealing with God. So as we have this time of invitation, uh, feel free to come forward. You'll stand. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, Go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.